0: The Israelites again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. So the Lord sold them into the hand of King Jabin of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Herosheth-Hegoim. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. For he had 900 chariots of iron and had oppressed the Israelites cruelly for 20 years. At that time, Deborah, a prophetess, wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel. So she used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the Israelites came up to her for judgment. She sent and summoned Barak, son of Abinoam, from kedish in Naphtali, and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, go take position at Mount Tabor, bringing 10,000 from the tribe of Naphtali and the tribe of Zebulun. I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the Wadi Kishon with his chariots and his troops, and I will give him into your hand. This is the word of God for the people of God. Were you aware that we've just passed the 500th anniversary date of the Protestant Reformation? Just 500 years ago, Martin Luther, a Roman Catholic monk, wanted to discuss some things with the Roman Catholic hierarchy. And it ended up when he started the discussion that things went from one thing to another until groups of people began to split off from Catholicism, finally becoming what we now know as Protestants. Many of the things he wanted to do were innovations, and many of those were adopted. But some of his ideas didn't do so well. One of his was that He wanted to take some books out of the Bible. He thought Revelation was not too helpful. He wasn't sure about the book of James. He said, maybe we should just eliminate them from the Scriptures. Well, that did not carry the day. And yet, when I read a passage like today, I think of Martin Luther and think, hmm, maybe this one. I mean, it's difficult to understand. It's confusing. Biblical scholars think that this is probably two ancient stories woven together into one, but they maybe didn't do as good a job weaving them as they have in some other places. The other thing is, when you read through it, and notice that the passage says that God commands the people to pull together, and then, then God is going to bring these other people, their neighbors, down into the valley so that you can slaughter them it's hard for some of us to kind of get our head around that theologically in terms of thinking that that would be part of god's nature that that would be part of god's plan but let's look closer let's dig in a little bit and see if we can make some better sense of this and at first reading and perhaps even find lessons of faith that would help us today First, a caution when we read something like verse 1 where it says the Israelites again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. It is important that we remember that this is the family or national story of the Jews. Too often, Christians read something like that and take it out of context. So, verses like this have been used to say that jews are evil and i think that is a very dangerous misinterpretation because once you've taken that step and decided it says they're evil what christians have done in the past is to say then we need to convert them whether they want to be converted or not so we can do so forcefully and if they don't want to cooperate we can eliminate them And it has led to some of the greatest tragedies in all of history. Some of the greatest inhumanity the world has ever witnessed. So we need to be very careful when we read passages like this. I think it's not too different than within our own family groups. I don't know if this happens in yours, but it does in mine occasionally, where somebody talks about somebody else in the family in a negative way. They say some unflattering things about how they've behaved, maybe at the last holiday or what they're doing. And yet, we're still going to celebrate Thanksgiving with them. We still know they're part of our family and we're going to love and care about them. And if somebody else said the same things to us that maybe we have said about someone else, we would object It would feel like somebody had crossed a boundary and stepped in where they weren't a part of that group. And so it feels more like an attack. And it feels like there's not the necessary knowledge and care for them to be engaging in that discussion. I think this story and all of the Hebrew Scriptures are like that. We need to remember where they come from. We need to realize that they're family stories of national origins of the jewish people and they can say things to one another that we should not be saying in fact some of the biblical scholars say they think this story and some others in this section go all the way back maybe to the 12th century before the common era or before christ And that that story has been worked and refashioned over all those centuries until the rabbis finally put together the canon or the sacred scriptures, the books that were accepted probably somewhere around the year 100 of the common era or after Christ. So it's a story with such a long, long history here it's important to understand that secondly we have to work to understand more fully the context and background of these passages when these are such ancient stories it's sometimes harder to remember where they come in the sequence and how they fit into all of this so we've been following these stories and we spent a lot of time with moses as the great lawgiver and leader and deliverer of his people and then he dies and we take up joshua and we Talked about Joshua and his leadership, but now he's died as well. And so now, today, we're in the period of the judges. They are the people who are seen as heroes, in a sense. They're called judges, but not because they're legal experts or that they have a courtroom or wear a robe. But they are those that held up or stood up for the rights of people who stood up for the rights of orphans and widows or stood up on behalf of the people in the face of military aggression like we have in our story today. There is a foreign king that's oppressing the people. You heard it in verse 3. The indictment against him says that he had oppressed the Israelites cruelly for 20 years. And so when someone comes along And says let's stop the cruelty you can see why they become a hero or a heroine in the face of such carnage and their ability and willingness to stand up and make a difference and stop the cruelty the third idea here is when the Israelites run into trouble or oppression is what the text says we are reminded and it's emphasized here that the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help they cried out to the Lord for help it's important to notice that it says they did evil not that they are evil that is The text isn't really saying that they were immoral or unworthy people. What it says is what was evil was intermarriage with other groups in the region. And that's a problem in this day and age of this story. Because when they intermarry, they end up worshiping other gods. False gods. They end up worshiping idols. And you remember the first commandment they have received in this covenant with God. Have no other gods before me so when they intermarry, it's not that the other people are somehow evil as well it's that they worship other gods and god's trying to create this community of purity of focus of covenant that will reveal to the world the one true god there will be a people that are a blessing to all the peoples because of their covenant with God. So when they intermarry and other gods come into play, it becomes a problem. Yet when in trouble, they call out to their God. Even though they're in trouble with God, they still call out to their God. In the text, the name you remember they use for God is YHWH. In our text, it's Lord, L-O-R-D, put all in capital letters when referring to that particular name for God. So they're calling out to their personal God. And we can understand that. When we're worn out, when we're worn down, when we find ourselves exhausted, and at the end of our resources and energy, and life is in such a state that we do not know where to turn. So often, we cry out to God. You see it in the lives of people through the centuries, saints and sinners, who when they're in a time of trouble or travail, they call out to God for help. We even use it in our prayers and our sacred songs where we say hear our cry O lord or hear our prayer O lord or lord have mercy or christ have mercy because it's such a common experience we know that we need help sometimes reconnecting to god in those kind of times if you've ever read through the psalms you know they are filled with these kinds of Prayers and litanies. I want to give you a couple of examples this morning. Psalm 3 starts like this O oh Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying to me, There is no help for you in God. But you, O oh Lord, are a shield. Around me, my glory and the one who lifts up my head. I cry aloud to the Lord and he answers me from his holy hill. Or Psalm 5 starts like this. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Give heed to my sighing. Listen to the sound of my cry. My king and my God. For to you I pray. Or one more, Psalm 116 begins like this. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my supplications, because he inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold of me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord, O oh Lord, I pray, save my life. Have you ever had that experience? Where you're facing death, the death of a loved one, where you're facing a situation where you cannot see a way out, and you cry out to God for help. It's a common experience across the ages. In our story today, they're getting ready to face a battle. And we can even, I think, understand that if we think about what it would be like or what it is like when we're sending a loved one off to war. Every family I've ever known who's sending someone into a battle zone, whether it be mother or father, brother or sister, husband or wife, Son or daughter, they want God's protection. They want me to pray with them. They want to pray that God will bring that person back safe. They're crying out to God for help. In times of trouble or conflict, we want our loved ones to be safe and come back to us alive. So we pray to God, because we know we need help from a higher power. We know it's beyond our control. So we pray to God for help. The ancient Israelites find themselves living in a time and place when this story takes place where there are no nations as we know them no clear and set national boundaries no standing national armies or civil defense they live in a time and place where life revolves around tribes and the boundaries are ever changing and if a bigger tribe with more weapons like 900 chariots comes by you know that Your life and the life of your whole tribe could be eliminated all of a sudden. So often, God's protection is important in these stories. For without it, the people believe that they would not have survived. So often, ancient Israel is the underdog. They are so very vulnerable to larger armies, larger groups of people with more weapons around them. And they pray to God for help. They're never sure whether or not they're going to survive another day living in a context like that. You can even hear it in the verse right after where we finished reading. We stopped in verse 7, but in verse 8, Barak is the general, the commander that Deborah has summoned. And he says to her, If you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. He's not sure of the victory, he's not sure they're going to survive the day. He wants Deborah, prophetess of God, the one connected closely with the Lord, their God, to be the one that leads the way. He wants God's protection, he wants God's presence. If he's going to go into this battle, we can understand that if we step back and think about what life must have been like in those times. The final idea I want us to notice is how atypical this story is, and yet how it fits an important biblical pattern. So here we are with Judges, we know all the other judges were male. We know in ancient Israelite religion that the sign of entering the tribe or entering the religion was circumcision, so we can be pretty sure it's a male-dominated culture and society and religion. We know that the people who gathered these stories and wrote them and edited them were all males. We know almost all the leaders in the Bible are males. And yet we have this story like this one today that's about Deborah a judge a prophetess of God a female leader in the midst of all these other stories she is the one that is the strong character she is the one that God's speaking through she is the one willing to lead the people she is the one that's a model of faith and in fact, if you read on beyond where we stopped today, further into chapter 4, you find out at the end of the story, there's another woman that helps. The person that actually finally kills the general is a woman, J.L. It's a graphic and dramatic ending to the story. comes later in chapter 4. But I want us to make sure that we realize that this is almost unheard of in these ancient scrolls to praise women for their leadership their wisdom and their bravery and yet here we have this story which reminds us that we need to be aware that god works through all kinds of different people males and females and so Even though it's a rare story, and it is atypical, we can also see something else here. Because this fits a pattern of God choosing the unlikely, the least, or the unconventional to accomplish the divine work God wants to do in the world. So even though there's a general, there's a commander of this army... Deborah is really the leader and the hero or the heroine in this story. She is the one that's going to lead even him. She is the model of faith. She is the one that has this close and intimate relationship with God. So close, in fact, that God speaks through her to all the people. And through her actions, we're told later in the story that this leads to 40 years of peace for the people, for the Hebrews. Hebrews. It reminds us that god often challenges the status quo that god often works in ways that we surprising to us and we're surprising to them have you heard the name jennifer maddox jennifer maddox she was nominated as one of the top 10 heroes for 2017 in the CNN poll where they asked people from across the country to nominate people you know that would be worthy of lifting up. She's one of the ones who was nominated. When I was reading her story, she reminded me of Deborah. She is a woman. She's an African-American. And she's a police officer in Chicago. So she is a strong leader, but fulfilling some unconventional roles. She works on patrol on the streets of Chicago. Last year in Chicago, they had one of the highest homicide rates they've had in the last 20 years. And even though she patrols those streets and tries to keep people safe, she says on the south side of Chicago where she grew up and where she works, too many children are seeing people they know murdered. And it's not even safe for some of the children to be on the streets. It's become so violent. So Jennifer Maddox, in addition to being a police officer, has started an after-school program, a free after-school program for elementary age children, a place where they can come and study and work with other adults. She says it's important, particularly for her as an officer, for them to know a police officer That they know cares about them. She says, You know, most police officers do care about the people in the neighborhoods that they patrol. But sometimes in neighborhoods where violence breaks out, there becomes this great divide between the police and the community. She says, That is a problem. So she stepped across that divide to start a neighborhood initiative to keep these children safe. It lacked funding. So she was so committed, she took a second job to finance this after-school program for these children. I want to read to you a quote that she has as she talks about this. She says, we can't arrest our way out of this. Law enforcement needs the people in the community to work with us to solve some of the grassroots issues that are causing the violence. Then rather than attacking and blaming someone else, she goes on to say, I think we should talk more about working together towards the same common goals to give our young people an opportunity to survive let's be like Deborah let's be like Jennifer Maddox let's open ourselves to God's call upon our lives so that we might be agents of peace that we might be leaders of people and communities that are working together so that we can all have opportunities to survive and thrive, so that we can have communities where love and care is the norm rather than hate and separation. We could be those people in our neighborhoods, and our communities. May it be so with the help of God.